This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Our next guests have uh, sauntered casually into the studio and sat themselves down to talk about Sad Digger Mad Mary on as part of the Midsummer Festival at La Mama Theatre, the La Mama Courthouse in Carlton. And as is my tradition, I don't have to do this, but I feel it's appropriate to do. I am on the committee of management at La Mama, so there's always a slight conflict of interest when I talk about a La Mama show. But I don't benefit financially from my involvement with the theatre because I'm a volunteer. So that out of the way, uh, I'm delighted to have in the studio writer-performer Tom Halls and Director Yvonne Versek. Good Welcome morning, to you both. Richard. Thanks Hello. for having us. Lovely to have you both here. Now, Tom, this is a show which you premiered originally at Melbourne Fringe in a rather hot and stuffy room. <laughs> yes, uh, a tiny, tiny Melbourne. little room on the corner of the North Melbourne Town Hall. Uh, yeah, so that was over two years ago now. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, um, what, Fringe 2015? Yeah. 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 Which I had the delight of seeing as well. You did. So, yeah. <laughs> Front row, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds familiar. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what is the show? Tell us, because the title alone, Sad Digger, mm-hmm. Mad Mary, mm. so there's all kinds of possibilities it could be, but how do you describe it to people? So, Sad Digger, Mad Mary is a, um, a presentation of a man returned from war living as a hermit in the bush and he is dealing with everything he's seen and heard and been a part of and experienced and to help him deal with that a strange change in the weather comes and with that change in the weather brings Mary Poppins of course everyone's favorite super nanny to come in and help him get in ship shape and get his life in order and head the straight and narrow path, pun intended. Mm-hmm. So, the fact that it's on as part of, part of midsummer, I think that straight path may not be so straight. But not quite. <laughs> Sometimes more a winding, winding road. Gnarly, twisted mind of Tom Halls. Yes. <laughs> Yvonne, as the director of this piece, what do you bring to it? I mean, if Tom has written and devised and created and is embodying the piece by performing it, tell us about your what your added to the work, what you've alternatively taken away from the work by saying, uh-huh. no, cut that thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I mean, we started for the Fringe uh, season. I, Tom was kind of writing gradually and so I was, I was questioning what he was trying to do and what he was unpacking and um, the various myths that he was taking a little stab at, Australian masculinity, etc., and and sort of saying, is this the best way to do it or, or I don't quite understand what you're doing here or that's great, can we have more of that? A little bit of shaping with Tom. Mm. And then getting on the floor and trying to, I mean, really, we, we work together on how do we, we make this come to life. And then, I mean, you can argue that who knows on what level is Digger actually... Um, channeling Mary through his own body or is he calling upon her? Who knows? But Tom has to portray all of these things and all of these shifts and changes and um, there are another few little guest characters that pop in as well. Mm. So trying to find those characterisations and shifts but keep the different threads present so that whilst it is hyper-real... Um, you you also know that there are real things that Tom's investigating in terms of PSD, PTSD and... Um, and identity and queer identity in particular and the kind of oppressive nature of some of the masculine myths that we have in Australia and that kind of thing. So kind of trying to hone in, I suppose. Mm. And on that note, I would say as well that because it was written um, as a gradual thing through rehearsal, mm. that 
Yvonne really did um, help shape the script as well. So the the direction of the script and even some of the um, the lines and the sayings and the little words here and there that are tweaking just to make it really like bang through and pop through. It yeah. reinforces just how much making theatre is a collaborative art and mm-hmm. particularly a new work of theatre that mm. a script is often as much shaped by the director slash dramaturg as it is by the, the playwright themselves. Totally. And that's, I think, um, in terms of creating theatre, that's what interests me most. I mean, this is the um, third or fourth time we've worked together now as a team. Four. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think the, I think collaborating is the only way that you're going to get um, an interesting piece of theatre on stage because you. I feel like the meeting of minds and the um, mashing together of minds just uh, unveils a whole lot more than you could if you were just on your own, like just sitting alone writing on my own. I know I went insane for a couple of weeks trying to write this to take initially into mm. rehearsals. So, yeah. I think actually a way to really sum up um, that I think is I see my role as trying to be an advocate for the audience and tell Tom how things are reading. Like, do you want this to be, is this what you're going for here? Is this the meaning or are we looking somewhere else? Because this is how this is reading to me. Okay, mm. if that's what you want, then we need to alter this. We need to hone in in a different way. Mm. And yeah. In terms of reading the work, one of the things that I was fascinated by when I saw it at Fringe is we're very, very familiar with um, the Anzac myth going off to war, the noble mm. heroic death at Gallipoli, for example. Mm. But History is, and uh, if you read twentieth, early 20th century history, uh, there's a great book I read a year or so ago about uh, Melbourne in the 1920s. Um, there's people who are literally living on the fringes, people, uh, diggers who've come back from the war who cannot cope with noise, mm, with sound, yeah. which we now know to be post-traumatic stress mm. disorder, but at the okay. time shell shock and so forth. And so it fascinates me to think that across uh, the outskirts of Melbourne and indeed across Victoria and Australia, if you wandered off into the right bush gully, you would find someone living in a in a in a shanty yeah. because they had literally they could not cope with the society they had returned mm. to after the war. There was all these emotionally and physically damaged men, mm. uh, totally, who our history books have have glossed over and forgotten mm. about. So I'm I'm curious, Tom, why you seized on that particular aspect of Australian uh, myth yeah. and Australian masculinity to explore? Well, I think at the time, um, so 2015, it was the 100-year anniversary of the Gallipoli landing. And uh, at the time, I was I was seeing everything, everything on TV and everything around the posters everywhere and banners kind of celebrating this and almost kind of commercialising this... Um, the the Anzac and and what that meant and I feel like uh, it's something that the the nation's identity is mm. kind of r- very rooted in. There's like a um, the coming together of mateship and like this real kind of um, arm in arm. We go together, brothers. We go together, and that's like the Anzac identity that's kind of permeated through like over a hundred years now. And so at the time, I was just I was wondering there is this kind of not glorification, but there's kind of a putting up on a pedestal and what could be an alternative story or a story that is maybe not so often told or seen. Um, So I was really interested in exploring absent narratives in our nation's identity Um, and that, uh, 
other forms of masculinity, I feel, are absent in the nation's narrative and probably still are today. And yeah. obviously listeners who are uh, listening to our conversation and thinking, oh, absent absent narratives, well, the fact that this is being staged as part of the Midsummer Festival is kind of a sign as to what mm-hmm. one of those narratives, those absent narratives is because yes. what we now think of as queer identity was already evolving and around in kind of 1914, 1915. But yeah. where are the stories of uh, queer men who went to war yeah. in, uh, in uh, World War One? And that's so interesting interesting in the reading and research I was doing for this there are papers that were released by um the kind of the the higher up hierarchy of the the army and the military in Australia who were in complete denial that there were any homosexuals in the army at all and there were some who said oh yeah there were but they weren't in my battalion or they weren't in my (laughs) regiment you know they were all kind of denying or passing off so um that definitely informed the character and informed the story in how he deals with um, a particular mateship that he formed. It's interesting that in the UK there's a documented history of the, the great gay war poet. So you've uh, Wilfred Owen and Siegfried Sassoon and so forth, and we don't have that here. But the other element that's come into this work, which is also from the UK, as we've acknowledged, is Mad Mary, yes. a.k.a. Mary Poppins. Mm. Yvonne is directed switching between tones in this work uh, from the a story of a broken man who's returned home to the wild flights of fancy that the work gets into. Talk to us about directing and finding the balance in the piece with those different emotional aspects and and, um, contrary uh, shifts in the work. Mm. Well, Mary takes a little while to come into the piece and when she does, she's very dominant, I think. So I think it's it's good that we establish a lot of the things that Digger is struggling with in the first section of the piece. And really for me, what's key is that people do go with Tom on that journey and do consider where he where digger is at and what he's actually going through at that point and that's been something that we've been really working on and then when mary kind of comes in i don't know tom's really got her down i think now so well it's like he just sort of turns the toes out you know gets the um posture going holds an umbrella and she just kind of leaps into his body um and that's always a joy seeing that twist of course because he's going back and forth between them you sort of you don't want to do this kind of shaking um, possession sort of style thing. So we we found a physical way, a movement that one of the characters was making that takes him into the other character in a natural kind of way, so that you do understand that it, that it is psychological, but you see it sort of slide in, if you will. Um, so that has been a real challenge. Also, there are a couple of um, other mythical icons that um, sort of pop in as well, including um, G.O.D. Let's leave the rest of those (laughs) as surprises for the audience. The production we're talking about is Hotel Now's Sad Digger Mad Mary, which is on in a very short season at the La Mama Courthouse Theatre as part of Midsummer Festival. So kicking off tomorrow night, Friday night, which is already booked out, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then uh, performances on uh, Saturday at 7.30pm and Sunday at 4pm. That's correct. So just two other shows to get to. Even though tomorrow night has sold out, if you if it's the only night you can get to, it's always worth turning up and trying your luck on a standby ticket. There's, yes, please uh, do. People who book tickets, invariably somebody's car will break down or they can't get a babysitter. Of course. Or they just forget that they've got tickets <laughs> for that night. And we're going to try and squeeze as many people in as we can. Excellent. So, yes. uh, Sad Digger, Mad Mary, if uh, our conversation has intrigued you, it's on at the La Mama Courthouse, 349 Drummond Street, Carlton. 
Friday, Saturday and Sunday. It runs to 70 minutes. You can book by going to lamama.com.au or calling 93476142. That's 93476142 or lamama.com.au to book to see Sad Digger, Mad Mary, written and performed by Tom Halls, directed by Yvonne Versick. It's been a pleasure having you both in the Thank studio. Thank you so much, Thanks, Richard. Richard. It's my very great pleasure to have our next guest in the studio. Martin Payton is the Festival Director of the Castlemaine State Festival, running from the 17th to the 26th of March. It's one of the few, I guess, major arts festivals that has kept to that original biennial format that it seemed once that most festivals had. Adelaide Festival did, certainly, and uh, and others. So, Martin, welcome to Triple R. Thanks for the invitation. Um, this is going to be your fifth and final festival. That's right. So does that mean that uh, you've pulled out all the bells and whistles for this final festival or is it a more quiet, uh, studied culmination of everything you've been working on and towards? How do you approach a landmark like this? Well, it was supposed to be a smaller festival. <laughs> the 40th anniversary was was last last festival in 2015 and my my plans were to to certainly try to kind of rein it in a little bit but uh, it has been difficult because there's just so much you know, great work that's being produced and and you continue to build on ideas but I suppose with this one I I wanted to in in planning starting to think about planning for the 2017 festival was to kind of draw on my experiences of living living in that community for 10 years and you you know you get to know nature more intimately and and your community and relationships more closely and ideas that can come from not just about using the environment but you know so understanding when there's a better time it might be in the morning and getting to know the the light or the atmosphere of those spaces or the smells and yeah so we, we've sort of I felt like to go into the festival in that kind of layer in in my last one nice mm. and when you say using the landscape it's interesting that i mean festival the festival has used in the past for example the old castlemaine jail which is on top mm. of the, the hill looking down over over mm. castlemaine you've used old mine shafts you've used mm. parks avenues of trees so you are literally using the castlemaine environment not mm. just the environment of built objects, but mm. the, the natural environment as well. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we've been really fortunate at each festival that there's been a particular building, a really important sort of part of the culture and history of the place, uh, a, a big industrial space usually last festival. It was the former uh, woolen mills, which had just been recently purchased by a sheep farmer who'd seen what we'd done with other alternative spaces, didn't really know what to do with it, and said, hey, look, you know, let's let's use this space. Please, I'd love you to, to uh, imagine what it might be. And, and it's uh, since that time, just in short of two years, it's it's become quite a sort of thriving, thriving cultural hub uh, of uh, different arts businesses and um, you know, arts practitioners using that space. But for this festival, we're using a former railways goods shed and uh, it was earmarked to be a gaming venue <laughs> some years back and it was a sort of landmark uh, VCAT uh, overturned that, that decision. The community really pushed for something differently and we've looked at the potential of that being a new creative centre for the region. And speaking of 
creative centres in the region. Am I right in thinking that the state government just yesterday mm. uh, announced uh, a new project that which will include a focus on Castlemaine and some of the surrounding shires as uh, a regional cultural hub? Yes, that's that's right. It's uh, yet to find out the details. What you know, what that is exactly, but they've had uh, the inaugural uh, region for culture and uh, Bendigo and the surrounding areas of Castlemaine and through to a number of surrounding shires are going to be the focus for a year-long program of, of events and cultural programs and arts activities. So it's, it's pretty exciting, as well as the major biennial Artlands Conference, which is held every two years in a different state and victorious. So Bendigo is the next destination. That will all be happening after you've moved on, unfortunately. <laughs> I have, but, I yeah. have. Um, before we talk in detail about uh, the program for the 2017 Castlemaine Festival, why the decision to move on? Uh, um, the urban festivals change their festival directors every three or four years, and that's contracted. It's a, a, a case of you are appointed as festival director for a, a limited tenure, usually three years with the possibility of, a, of an extension to four years if your programs are successful, and then you off you go, mm. which to my mind, yes, keeps the festivals fresh with new blood com- constantly coming in, but also means, as some other festival directors uh, from around the country have commented to me, that it, it inhibits the growth of grand ideas that need longer development, that need several years of development, for example. And it also impacts on what you've already described, the ability to truly get to know a place and mm. its community. Mm. Yes, well, I I had a, a original contract for three festivals, and it was around that time that that uh, I, I was feeling like having understood the kind of healthy nature of directors changing over from a from a city based context and major festivals in Melbourne, largely that uh, that it would be good then to hand the baton. But in fact, that's when you're just starting to get to you know develop those relationships, that trust, and that kind of possibility, and then. Uh, the way that the festival always grows is through those kind of collaborations with a very broad network of community. And so whilst I was starting to think that it was the community that was saying, well, why would you be thinking about moving on? There's no no reason to do that. And in fact, it, it feels, it feels uh, detrimental in some way to the festival to be able to stop what can continue to be a really good future um, planning of the festival together but uh, coming to five festivals and feeling like it it feels like it's in a really good state to hand that over and uh, and it does become more difficult to move on because you really just start to feel that you can continue to do amazing things into the future but yeah it it, it felt time that the festival's in a good state to hand it over and uh and yeah and healthy for me to move on to something else as well do you know what you're moving on to no i don't just taking a break afterwards yeah yeah, just going to rest for a little bit sensible very sensible (laughs) And uh, the new festival director has already been announced as well. Glenn Roberts, that's right. So formerly uh, produced with MKA Theatre here in Melbourne. Then the last couple of years has been up at La Boite Theatre in Mm. Brisbane, uh, Mm. producing work there, including the independent program uh, Theatre Republic for the Brisbane Festival. So, yeah, yeah, it's a great We had our first hour-long chat just a few days ago. We'd been hoping to to connect much earlier, but uh, it's been a big process for the board because it's it's not just about the art, the ideas that you can bring as a director. So much is about the relationships in a regional town and the capacity to, yeah, to really just have for the board to kind of feel like it's someone who's going to be able to build those really good relationships over time. So oh, I look forward to seeing what Glyn does in yeah. the role, but I'm also very much looking forward to your final Castlemaine State Festival, which uh, running from the 17th to the 26th of March, as we've said. Now, 
it's a big program. Mm. Um, and it's I, looking through the printed program, for example, I was going, okay, I was expecting one or two circus shows. There's about eight of them, for example. So it, it seems like the different aspects and elements of the program have multiplied. Mm, yes, yes, it has. And, uh, and look, I... I I was very fortunate this festival. Each festival is very much shaped by the by the sort of collaborations that I build with certain uh, artists but also artistic producers who, who, who find themselves in Castlemaine and Sam Thomas is, uh, is a performer who has travelled the world for, for quite some, some years and he moved to the town at, well, actually his whole life really and it comes from a big family of um, circus and physical theatre artists and he has moved to Castlemaine and had brought to him really a sort of lifetime of uh, ideas and possible artists that he could bring from around the world and you know not just artists that uh, you know are extraordinary artists but also bring a new dimension for the festival that we haven't really tapped in before and we've got this extraordinary building to, to have that kind of mass and that scale to create that kind of sort of volume of work and so he has worked with festivals it's very much kind of drawing on that sort of european style of where industrial spaces have been converted by art by artists and but artists who uh it's not just about the theater of being on stage this is their life and so in a way he's bringing a whole kind of tradition of uh of physical theatre and circus from people he's worked with and admired over the years to, to Castlemaine. So, yeah, that's why it has grown to include artists from, you know, from Sweden and Spain and Argentina as well as some, some incredible work that we're producing as well. So some great local work, uh, Notorious Trumpet and Dangerous Girl, which I saw at mm. Melbourne Fringe, which was uh, fantastic. Anna Lum, who's a, a great local performer, many people know. Children are Stinky uh, and Acrobat uh, from, who are up from... Based up in Albury. Albury. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, so that's bringing them down to do a work which is always exciting but international works as well so the opportunity for cross fertilization and future collaboration perhaps growing out of that model yeah programming. That's, that's right i mean the good the Castlemaine goods shed is going to be a space where we're hoping to move into and so we're going to be able to start to create work that is across the two years and a lot of what the festival is trying to do is not just not just about this this great 10 days of entertainment but also starting to generate work and collaborations and mentorships and exchanges between other artists within the region and across the world now uh, we've mentioned the, the Good Shed, which is going to be the focus for the opening night party. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, having been up for the opening night party, a couple of uh, festivals running now, it's amazing to see so many people coming together uh, and a, a community celebration. It's not just mm. a visiting artist or two performing for the community, but it's the community participating in work. So so uh, certainly the, the two openings I've been to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've shifted more and more to a, a sort of a program that started off with a little bit of a taste of what you might see over the 10 days but uh, this particular event is a collaboration with about 120 students who've been working chor with choreographer Robbie Graham from the United Kingdom uh, from uh, with the Australian National Academy of Music with David Thrussell, local composer and yeah, creating work that looks at the whole kind of history of the industry of the town but actually starting to imagine what it, what it might be so for, for, for this younger uh, younger artist and younger part of the, the town to be able to define you know what they see the future of Castlemaine and the region being which is such an important part of the arts in general, the, the gifting the ability to imagine and, and to view the world differently. I think what's, what's really important with the Castlemaine State Festival, and this is something which I've learnt now being with the festival for 10 years, but also having seen 
we're half a generation or a generation of uh, festival goers who had their first experience of art, extraordinary art under previous directors of, you know, great work from around the world and from within Australia. And they've seen that and that has become their kind of benchmark and their, oh, not benchmark, sounds very sort of bureaucratic really, but it just the kind of level of quality of experiences. And now they're our patrons. I mean, we have 240 donors in the town, individual patrons and donors who are investing in the event because and and also a lot of mentorships and programs for young people because they know what this kind of work can do for them in their, their future. Now, one of the things that is distinctive about this year's program is uh, a focus on the Philippines. How mm. did that come about? Yes, well, for the last number of years, what I've been doing is... Uh, Developing, and I've mentioned our mentorships and programs with young people, is looking at a particular part of the world and artists from a certain place that can come and have a deeper engagement with the town. And uh, so for, for the last festival, it was Cuba, and we had about 13 artists from Cuba, visual artists and performing artists come over. And so the, the, the whole town, in a way, starts to get that kind of experience and understanding of the whole the culture, the economy, the politics, the history, the geography, and so on. And... Uh, and uh, uh, it was very, it's very successful and there's been a whole sort of series of programs that have come out of that. And I was trying to work out where on earth I would uh, focus for the, for, the, for the next festival and I was an exhibition opening of a, a Filipino artist. And there's Trevor Hogan who heads uh, the Australia-Filipino relationship in, at La Trobe University and he started to tell me about the Philippines and I realised how little I knew, you know, that it's, it's, it's certainly a, a country of great importance in our region but it's awkwardly placed as 100 million people, it's the third largest, largest megacity in the world, 7,000 islands and this extraordinary artistic life that exists there but little is known outside the general kind of politics and the kind of chaos particularly under recent changes in government which is, have happened subsequently to us programming the Philippines and so it's become incredibly important uh, with I think it's about 400,000 sorry, sorry with all these statistics but there's 400,000 odd Filipino Australians and 100,000 of those in Melbourne and uh, so it's a chance to for for our community there for and for the sort of wider festival audiences to discover something about a really important country in our region. And, uh, yeah, so we have about 15, 16 artists or so coming across a whole range of different art forms and, yeah, great work, I, I'm sure. If you've just tuned in, we're speaking with Martin Payton, who's the Festival Director of the Castlemaine State Festival, which is uh, a biennial festival happening this year uh, between the 17th and the 26th of March in Castlemaine. So it's about an hour and 20 minutes on the train north of Melbourne and well worth visiting if you've not been before. Uh, and if you have been before, well, it's a strong program, so I think you should be going as well. Um, one of the the things that defines Castlemaine is its existing infrastructure. Uh, and so the Theatre Royal, which is um, such a significant historic theatre, uh, and also the Castlemaine Art Museum. Mm. I wanted to talk about the Art Museum and, and then, by extension, the Visual Art Program mm, as well. Sure. Does I would imagine that the Art Museum curate their own work, which is then programmed as part of your festival, or do you have a more of a, of a say in what they're putting on? Mm. Yes, that's, that's evolved over the last number of years. I mean, there's always been a relationship with the Castlemaine Art Museum, but uh, their new director, fairly new director, Jennifer Calionis, who came on a few, a few years ago now, uh, I think 2015 was the first time we, we worked together, 
and there was some ideas that we were able to start to shape together. And so, for example, the Filipino program bringing out Leroy New, we were able to look at how we can use the, the gallery. I mean, what's important about festivals is we're all exploring ideas and possibilities that you couldn't do otherwise. You know, just how can we come together to create a different kind of experience at the museum for, for audiences? And so we're creating an artwork that's out on the facade, which has not happened before. And so, you know, really starting to kind of push the boundaries of the way that the town experiences art and uh, so yes that's what we're doing with the Kasserman Art Museum as well as there's always a, a massive number of open studios and exhibitions excuse me there's about uh, 80 or so which you you can sort of tour around the region and have that wonderful kind of connection intimate relationship with the artists and their personal spaces for experiencing art. And given that Castlemaine and its environs have become the kind of place that because of the festival has become mm. a place where tree changes will move to, where people who are just, they might work in the city but they want a quieter pace mm. outside so uh, they move there. So there's a lot of artists living and working in the region. Uh, it's really fascinating to see the way that art is integrated into the broader Castlemaine community as a result of the festival. Yeah, look, I, I'm just so, you know, encouraged to hear the effect that the, the festival has. And it's not the only, you know, it's, I mean, Castlemaine has a, a, a big history. It's always attracted, and I think right from the gold rush days, actually, it's attracted people who are adventurous, people who are creative, creatively minded, innovative thinkers, uh, very politically minded, and that's certainly the sort of spirit in the town. It's always done that. But there is a you know a momentum I think that starts to happen when you've got a major event like the festival and we're and we're trying to produce and create you know create work across the two years and then that brings a whole lot of other possibilities. I was chatting with someone who was saying that she's a, a, a doctor. She's come to work in the town because her husband was able to secure some work in the region because of the opportunities that are there for artists. So it's good. And there's also, of course, a thriving literature program. Mm, yes. Yes. So uh, uh, Lisa D'Onofrio is also a fantastic uh, producer of uh, the, the children's Castleman Children's Literature Festival. And so we've been working together for a couple of years. We, we did a small program together last festival, but she... She and I really sort of share a great love for story, stories, the essence of the story and finding the right kind of space and environment to do that. So, for example, the tribe, which will be set in a new in a backyard in the town of Newstead, or you know, doing work at the Castleman Magistrates Court that's based on the novels of Harper Lee and uh, letting the audience be part of the jury and bringing some great uh, people like Robin Davidson, who's the author of Tracks and she lives up in the area. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's a way in which we really enjoy programming together that's somewhat different to the the format of maybe other writers festivals i get the feeling martin you're going to even though you'll be relieved in some ways to move on after almost 10 years in the role as festival director that you're going to miss it enormously oh for sure yeah for sure I, i'm sure i'll feel you know nostalgic about it at some stage but at the moment it's just concentrate on the festival and yeah i'm i, I will because it's very much part of my life and I've, I've really loved it and the kind of way you've been able to connect with the town and in all all its facets through through a festival and what's extraordinary excuse me it comes from the big the big history of this festival is people are very very much open to ideas and they love being involved in some way whatever kind of infrastructure you, you might need or space you might need so yeah it'll be it'll be uh, certainly a change to the way that i've 
connected with the town over the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, speaking of connections with the town, one of the other things that fascinated me, and which I didn't know until I visited Castlemaine for the State Festival for the first time several years ago, was that there's even a fringe festival in yes. the Castlemaine Fringe yes. that grew up in response to the festival and local artists sometimes feeling excluded, as has happened with Edinburgh Fringe and Adelaide Fringe and so mm. forth. What's the relationship like between the fringe and the festival? Well, look, it's it's it's. Good. I have to say that I I really love fringe happening because they, there's all this sort of surprise that happens during the festival. So people might finish a performance at the town hall and they come out and there's projections on the wall that fringe have, have decided to put as an extension of the experience. So it's a really nice kind of dovetailing of the two in the way which work uh, um, unfolds and we have a conversation together. But I, I really enjoy that fringe element. I suppose what's been interesting is it did come out of... Uh, a sort of history of, you know, where the festival was more sort of formal, classical music, less about local engagement, more about international productions. When it was the old school festival the model, actually. That's right, yeah. that's right. So Lots of high art because it's yeah, good for you. Yeah. So it's always had a really good place and it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, what unfolds for me. The Castlemaine State Festival is running from the 17th to the 26th of March this year and uh, you can find out more details at castlemainefestival.com.au or you can pick up a copy of the very chunky brochure from uh, the usual kind of bookshops and and cafes and whatever uh, around town. And if you're streaming from Castlemaine itself, I'm sure you know already where to find copies of the program in the region. Martin Payton, it's been lovely catching up with you again. Thank you, Richard. And uh, thank you for your festivals as well. I appreciate it. Those I've visited to date, I've enjoyed immensely and I uh, will very much aim to get up for uh, a weekend uh, for this year's festival as well. I look forward to seeing you up there. Thanks. All the best. You may have heard a bit of noise around a new festival called Asia Topa, and uh, you might be wondering uh, what exactly that is. Asia Topa is the Asia-Pacific Triennial of Performing Arts. It's a three-month-long celebration of Australia's relationship and engagement with uh, the Asia-Pacific, and it offers the opportunity for a range of works to be seen in Melbourne that perhaps might not otherwise be seen on our main stages, and it also represents an opportunity for collaboration between artists from Australia and the Asia-Pacific. One of the works that's being performed at Asia Topa is called Bunny, created by Luke George and Daniel Cock, who join me now in the studio. Good morning. Welcome to you both. Hello. So, uh, for a little bit of background about you both, uh, people in Melbourne who are familiar with the contemporary dance scene may be familiar with your work, Luke, having danced with Ballet Lab and many other companies. You've spent a lot of time over in the States. Yeah, about the last um, three, three or four years, I've been um, spending a little bit more time over there. I went over there to dance uh, for a choreographer, Miguel Gutierrez, who's also uh, done work. We actually met uh, in, Austra- in Australia, in Melbourne. He, uh, he did a commission on Ballet Lab uh, back in 2007. And um, yeah, he invited me to go over and dance over there. And then I fell in love with the city and um, started making my own work there and performing my own work there. And I've done a few shows there now. And Daniel, you're uh, originally from Singapore, mm-hmm. doing a lot of work in Europe and elsewhere as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about your practice and your background. Well, I used to be a visual artist and then I became an art teacher and then I was also doing pole dancing and then I did a master's in in dance in Berlin. So just mixing it up, really. Yeah. Yeah. And how did the two of you meet? So, yeah, you yeah. go. <laughs> we, were, um, we were match made. We were set up um, 
by Campbelltown Art Centre in Western Sydney, by particularly by an artist, um, Emma Saunders, uh, who used to curate the dance program there. Um, and Emma's also from the fondue set, the famous fondue set from Sydney. And Emma knew both of us, and she knew our works um, and our practice a bit, and she'd always said to us, you two, you two, you should get together, you should do something. <laughs> and we didn't know each other, uh, which is very surprising because... Um, moving our work around internationally, we follow a similar. We followed similar networks of pro- of programming, but we'd never seen each other's works or or met before. And yeah. so you were put into a th- into a, a space together, and it was a blind date, really. Yeah. And then uh, I think we first met on on Skype, did a video interview for each other. But then the next time we met in in person was was through our work so we we met on the stage and decided to uh, work together afterwards and so the work that's evolved bunny um is part performance part visual art part instruction in the art of bondage i understand mm-hmm. tell us a little more um because let's explain the title the title yeah, it's a title the title is a great place to start so a bunny in bondage terms, is the person who is tied up. That's right. It's one of the nicknames. There's several nicknames that's, um, that can be used. Some are more aggressive than others. Yeah. Um, and in our very first um, rope bondage uh, workshop or lesson that we were receiving in Sydney at the Sydney Rope Dojo um, that Daniel and I went to, our teacher, we were asking her lots and lots of questions about how to tie, how to, what it is to be tied, what the relationship between the tire and the tie is, and also what it is when there's performance involved, where there's an audience watching. And at one point she was telling us about something and she's like, you know, the rigger, who's the person who ties, might, might be tying their bunny and go to them, um, I've tied you like this and they can see you, they can see you like this now. And we're like, bunny? What's a bunny? And she's like, oh, it's, it's the, you know, it's the person who's getting tired. And we both looked at each other and laughed. And I, I think I remember saying to Daniel, oh, we've got to call, as jokingly, we've got to call the show that. And it stuck, clearly. So is this, it, I've heard it said that in some ways Bunny is a show that not only presents, um, amongst other things, a, a traditional Japanese art of, of not tying and bondage to an audience, but... Um, asks the audience to imagine themselves collectively as the bunny yeah that's the kind of that's the artistic question we asked and i think that that question also therefore brings us to questions about why we are in a performance together what's the relationship between the artist and the audience and the audience and each other and what is this temporary community that we we kind of are when when we are in a performance situation so um we're interested in that relationship and 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 yeah to to move also away from the so the the work is not just about um bondage as a sexual practice we're also really interested in what ropes themselves do the kind of metaphors numerous metaphors that come with ropes like being like uh, i'm tied up this weekend or we're a close-knitted community or um we're building strong bonds between ourselves and um you know i'm enjoying your twisted humor stuff like that so so we looked at other things involving ropes as well uh, like macrame um sailing knots rock climbing knots and and stuff like that so so the 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 work then becomes about different languages different interests different desires uh, sort of meshed up together now 
people who are familiar uh, Luke with your background might have been initially expecting a dance work but this is oh. a physical movement piece involving a visual and a visual artistic language you've you're the, the two of you are fusing art forms and moving away from a traditional simple idea of what a performance might be yeah I, I think the more that we dig into our respective artistic practices, Daniel and I, and our histories and where we come from and how we arrive at what we're doing now and arrive at the crossover between our practices too. This, I feel like this piece really speaks to that in a, in a, in a big way. Um, for my own choreographic practice, I think people who've seen my work over the last uh, 10 years um, have in witnessed um, different kind of departures from, de- from dancing. Yeah. Um, uh, well, hell, I was roped into one of your performances and I was doing things with heavy sandbags and somebody else was making noise with rope. So there's been a participatory element <laughs> you, as well. You, you were part of the, the fake band, wasn't it? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, a lot of different types of engagement or participation have always kind of interested me, even though it's kind of uncomfortable um, an uncomfortable space to enter into. I've, I keep going back to it. An uncomfortable space for the performer as well, because I know there are some audiences who are terrified of of participation because they think they will be humiliated, for example, or or they just want a passive experience. They want to be entertained, and the minute you involve them in in a way that is beyond them just sitting there watching proceedings, that breaks the for them the rules of watching. But I would imagine that as performers, there's a an enormous challenge with participatory work as well because you you don't know how an audience member is going to respond yeah um that to us is a a huge part of the work and and even moments where things might be a bit awkward or or um we're not quite sure what we're looking at you know when we look across the room at each other those are actually really exciting moments for us and um so in terms of participation where yeah it's not like everyone is going to be be forced to do something together and I think there are lots of space we, we like to think that you know we try to create lots of space for people to to decide the level of engagement they would like uh, for themselves in the work and for ourselves uh, we, we there, there will be dancing I can promise you that and uh, <laughs> in fact you can't see us but we're dancing in the studio right now and um, and uh, there will also be suspense or should I say suspension yes <laughs> And for that, I think since we're talking about suspense, I should not say any more. No, no. Now, I've read some reviews of Bunny from uh, when it was performed uh, in Adelaide as part of the Oz Asia Festival. Um, I'm just going to read a short line from one of the reviews. Uh, Bunny is a triumph. Like bondage itself, it lends itself to being different things at different times and it gently pushes boundaries in a way which is safe, sane and consensual. It's... uh, I think that speaks very positively about the work. And friends in Adelaide who saw it have been sending me Facebook messages mm. saying, please, please tell me you're going to Bunny. Really? Please tell me, wow. tell me you're going to Bunny. So, so it, it, it obviously got a really strong response and a warm response from the audience in, in Adelaide. Um, did the audience response surprise you? Um, we've been doing the show for over a year now um, and developing it. We threw a few previews as well with preview audiences before officially premiering it. So 
we've gotten um, a pretty in the in in Australia and internationally as well in different very different places. Um, and so we we've, we have quite a toolkit of um, res- possible responses now, um, but there's always a surprise. You know, you you never quite know um, what's going to happen with a particular group of people. Are there any particular individuals in the room who may be coming into it with an agenda? Um, there's a, there's a very careful liveness, you know, going on that we have to stay very attuned to, and it's a two hour piece. Uh, which is a much longer piece than a usual piece of theatre. And there's a reason for that. Um, It takes a long time to tie, um, to be untied as well too. But also for the the unfolding, developing relationships in the room to reveal themselves and to be seen and for us to really feel those, feel the the stuff that's going on in the room and read it and go with it. it. We wanted to be generous with that and not rush it or force it. Right. The work is called Bunny by Luke George and Daniel Cock and is on from tonight through until Sunday at the the meat market in Courtney Street, North Melbourne, in the corner of Courtney and Blackwood Streets in North Melbourne. Uh, and I'll give some more details about it in a moment. But you just used the term agenda, which I just wanted to think to... Uh, move away from that and to think about the agenda of Oz Asia as a festival, as an event. And Asia Topa. Uh, sorry, Asia Topa. Mm. Sorry, getting my festivals. <laughs> yeah, there's a few. <laughs> yeah. We have two. Yeah. So, um, in terms of participating in Asia Topa, what do you see the festival as representing and what possibilities do you think it will bring that other festivals haven't? I'm interested in the the for for from for my from my own experience the the recent um um uh engagements between Australia and different parts of Asia so whether whether I'm in um Tokyo um or in Singapore I've been encountering Australian artists and um in fact there is like a special MOU signed between Australia and Singapore right now we're going to be like closer than ever so our our collaboration um, we didn't know all that in in the beginning of uh, our working relationship but it turns out to be sort of aligned with all the other things that's happening and I think it's a really exciting time to be an independent artist in in Asia because uh, in different parts of of Asia Indonesia Thailand uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, China. I'm, I'm encountering lots of exciting, experimental artistic communities wanting to learn, wanting to exchange, to build a network. So I think Asia Topa is is uh, one of many instances of of such uh, uh, a gro- of a growing network in um, in Asia. Yeah, and I mean for me, col- the collaboration aspect of um, uh, of the perspective of Asia Topa amongst many perspectives of what Asia Topa is about because it's so pertinent to what's happening for me in this project. It's all about this collaboration with Daniel. Um, I, you know, so for so long, uh, Australian arts has been very Eurocentric and also very United States centric as well too. And there's different lineages or influences there that are, we feel them very strongly and I would say that a lot of programming um, keeps looking there as well too, um, and is also looking at Asia. Um, but like Daniel was talking about, like what's been so wonderful for me with this collaboration is it's it's brought me very intimately uh, in contact with 
with uh, practice in Singapore, Daniel's practice in particular, but then also the other independent artists in Singapore, and then also within the region as well, because we've been we've been uh, doing residencies and performances throughout Asia, and. I, I have a. I'm deepening my understanding and my connection to it, and I'm very, very excited about it. Whereas before, it felt like at a distance, and I didn't know how to reach into it before. And yeah, I, I just look forward to more um, that that Australian artists are, are connecting more with with Asian artists for sure. Yeah, uh, look, I'm when I heard about Asia Topa, I was genuinely thrilled because I've written a number of articles criticising some of the major international arts festivals in this country uh, for constantly programming work from the low countries in Europe, from the UK, from the US and Canada and, and yeah. kind of ignoring so much of what goes and on. Whether older, it's- older work as well too. You know, we're getting work that's five or ten years old from Europe. Or and which has started to lose its its purpose and its focus because it's toured for so long that it's lost some kind of immediacy and, and specificity. Uh, and so for Asia Topa, we're seeing new work, collaborative work, new engagements and opportunities. I think it's a really exciting initiative. Uh, Asia Topa is the Asia-Pacific Triennial of Performing Arts, kicking off this month. Uh, well, in fact, it kicked off in January and is running through for the next few months. Uh, multiple partners, multiple organisations involved. I think there's 30 or 40 different presenting uh, organisations and so many uh, participating artists. It's it's a really exciting initiative and I'm really excited to see Bunny tonight, which has been created by my guests, Luke George and Daniel Cock. It's on from tonight through until Sunday uh, at the Meat Market in North Melbourne. Thursdays to Saturday at 7pm, Sunday at 3pm. It's a two-hour performance uh, and the guys have told us that it because tying and untying knots takes time, but also to uh, to build the connections and strengthen those kind of uh, uh, the links that will be made in the audience as well will take time. It's on at the Meat Market in North Melbourne. Tickets are thirty five bucks, thirty concession for students, twenty five for other concessions. Bookings at artshouse.com.au or you can call nine three double two three seven one three, and you can find out more about the Asia Pacific Triennial of Performing Arts by going to www.asiatoper.com. Dot com dot au. Luke and Daniel, thank you so much for coming thank in. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the performance tonight. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.